ESPN 94.1 FM at AM 930 present The Drive. Brought to you by Huntington Federal Savings Bank. Local then, local now. Never FDIC. It is Monday, May 11th. Your drive begins now on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. I'm your host, Paul Swan. You can join the program by calling the Miller Lite phone lines at 877-420-TALK. That is 877-420-8255. Miller Lite holds true great taste. Only 96 calories. It is the original light beer. And we're here today for another 60 minutes of sports. We might actually have some good news. It's early, but Major League Baseball, the owners, have approved a proposal that they're going to present to the players tomorrow. It's a return-to-play scenario. Baseball could be back in home stadiums by early July. This is according to sources talking to ESPN. Here is what the big issue is. It's money, obviously. Money's the big issue. So there could be some financial losses with fan-free stadiums. There is a plan that includes a 50-50 revenue split with the players. So there's some potential there. Players Association, we'll see how they react to that. But here's some other things that are on the proposal. Now, the first thing is an expansion of the playoff. You have 10 to 14 is the new number from 10 to 14. And we'll go over these and then break them down. An 82-game season, so we're shortening the season, expanding the playoffs. The use of home stadiums and arenas and areas that have local and state government approval. A so-called spring training 2.0 that begins in June with a season set for early July a universal designated hitter, geographical schedules in which teams play only in division opponents and interleague opportunities uh, are basically, here, here, here's how it breaks down. You're going to play a geographical schedule. You're going to play in division opponents only, and you're going to play interleague opponents in a similar area. So American League Central teams, play only American League Central and National League Central teams. So the geography has got to make sense. A 30-man roster with a taxi squad that would have upwards to 50 players available. So here's where we start. Get the money situated. That's going to be a big issue because people want paid. They want paid, and as soon as you get over that hurdle, everything else will come and tumble. Let's talk about the playoffs, expanding the playoffs. You're going to go from 10 to 14 games. And a lot of this has got to do with ticket revenue. Of course, ticket revenue is a big deal. Teams estimate that upwards of 40% of revenue comes from ticket sales and other gate-related income. So what does this mean? This means more games, more ticket revenue. You're trying to bring in more TV money as well. But if you expand the playoffs, all of a sudden – You create, artificial or not, you create more interest. Well, how is that so? More teams get in the playoffs. Because if your team is out of it early, 
Now, I don't know how this is going to work with an 82-game season because I don't think anyone's going to get buried and crushed unless one team just jets out to a huge lead and leaves everyone else in the dust. But with an 82-game schedule and beyond, if a team's out of it early, you're playing the string out. There's nothing more irritating than watching bad baseball. And there's nothing more irritating than watching a team that knows they're out of it and they're just playing it out and trying to get to the end of the season so they can go golfing and take advantage of whatever opportunities they have. So if you expand the playoffs from 10 to 14, then all of a sudden you've got a couple more teams that are interested in what happened and you have a race. I like to see what it looks like in action. But you have teams that theoretically would be interested and stay at least at it a little bit more. And when you talk about teams tanking to get a draft pick, I mean, unlike the Bengals that really didn't try to tank, they just earned the draft pick. I mean, there are teams that, okay, we're done. We're just going to finish this out, go golfing. So you expand that. Now, 82-game season. You obviously can't get all the games in. I mean, what were you going to have? Day-night double headers every day? What was going to be the formula? What's going to be in the best interest? Well, if you're not traveling as much and you're not playing everybody else, you can squeeze it all in. 82 games, okay. Maybe the baseball season is a little short for your taste. Some people think it's a little too long. But 82 games, that would be a significant amount of games, I think. That would be a pretty good season. 82 games, that would be full. And if you could have games on TV every day, that would be the big thing. I mean, you're doing this to have games on TV. So if the TV packages are attractive enough, you can get the games in. I think you can have some compel- you really have some compelling baseball. And then what's got to be key here is you don't want to isolate in a central hub or hub region. You don't want to do that. And you don't want to keep players away from the families. Well, players don't want to be kept away from their families. I mean, that's a big deal here. I mean, you're asking someone to go off for several months and stay away from their family. And now Before we go any further, people in the armed services go off for months without seeing their family. So it can be done. And you give those folks a lot of credit for doing it. But baseball players, they're not going to do it, or a lot of people don't like the idea of being away from their family for long, long stretches of time. So you play your home games at your home stadium or in those municipalities and those government areas, wherever you can play the games. But you would play pretty much a home slate. Don't have to worry about being isolated somewhere. You don't have to worry about being away from your loved ones for months on end or how long this will going to be. So you don't have to worry about that. Then you got to get that spring training going and you, you got to begin in June. So really, you got to start soon. You got to have things in place. You're going to have to have testing. You're going to have to have everything that you need. And if you can get it going in June, you get this thing improved, you can start early July. You can start maybe around Independence Day. And if that's the case, we got baseball. Independence Day, we got baseball. It won't be perfect, but you'll have some sort of schedule and you'll have some live sporting events. And I think it'll be huge for television. For sports fans, I mean, I don't think the average person who's not a sports fan is all of a sudden going to gravitate towards this and flock towards this. But if you're a sports fan, you're 
going to watch it more. You're going to be more in tune with it. So that's what is planned. Now, how do you make this work? Well, the designated hitter, the universal designated hitter, because you're going to have American League teams taking on National League teams, and you can't juggle this if you're going to have more crossover than an occasional interleague game. If you play in an American League park, you play by American League rules. If you play in a National League park, you play by National League rules. No, you play by one set of rules to make this work, the universal designated hitter. I'm not a fan of the designated hitter. It either needs to be done away with or both sides need to use it. End of story. It has to be one or the other. Either a designated hitter, no designated hitter. I've never been a fan of the split nature of the designated hitter. I'm not a fan of the designated hitter. You're on the baseball team, you better hit the ball. I mean, you can throw the ball, that's great, but you better hit it too. And, of course, I get that, I understand. Maybe fans don't want to see the pitcher striking out. I get that. But the designated hitter, it has to be, and I agree with that, though, it has to be across the board. You're going to have to have, because it's easier for a National League team to designate a hitter than an American League team to send somebody who really doesn't bat very often unless it's an interleague game out there. I get that completely. So the schedule is a big thing. And to me, that's what makes it interesting for me because I've always felt that baseball could do a better job with scheduling. And I understand you have this American League, National League mentality. I mean, you're a National League team. You're an American League team. And and I get that. More so than any other sport, I think baseball and its conferences are very – ingrained. The Yankees are an American League team. The Mets are a National League team. The Yankees have been there forever. Right? But you see them as an American League team. I mean, it's just, it's almost—it's like two baseball leagues playing under the same umbrella. It really is. It feels like two different leagues at times. I've always felt that if you could readjust baseball, and everybody's going to have to get on board with this, I would rather see a schedule in which the opponents were closer to the other team. I mean, the geography's got to work for me. It's not that interesting to see teams that rarely see each other and don't have really a, a footprint crossing over, facing off against each other. I mean, it's, it's fun. It's interesting now and then. I mean, Lakers-Celtics, that was completely different. Yeah, Boston-LA, they're not close, but... Over the years, just because of the history, and that's the difference, because of the history, they're natural rivals. Maybe the rivalry isn't what it once was because the Lakers and the Celtics aren't maybe what they once were. But history aside, I think the geography is going to play. And I think it would be fascinating. I want to see this from a standpoint of, okay, I'm going to see games and teams that cross over a little bit more frequently than I'm used to seeing. How interesting is that going to be? I mean, if you see Pittsburgh take on Philadelphia on a frequent basis, that's going to be fun. You're going to see Cincinnati take on Cleveland. That's going to be an interesting situation, right? If you do it that way, however you stack these up, I think it makes sense to have the map make sense. Now, the 30-man roster with a taxi squad that would have upwards of 50 players available I mean, that's going to help probably in some situations. But I think the big one is money. Money's the first one. 
And once you get past money, then the playoff expansion. And that's going to help with revenue. And that's probably what's going to be sold. Look, we're going to expand the playoff. We have to. It's going to increase revenue. You want paid. And if you want paid, this is how we pay you. And it helps Major League Baseball sell that. But if we have the season starting around 4th of July, I mean, think of how this will be hyped up television-wise. I mean, ESPN already has made an art form of hyping up something. The Last Dance is the most hyped documentary or docudrama or miniseries that I've ever seen on ESPN. They have so many initiatives that support that program. On the radio, on the TV side, on the internet side. And if they got baseball back, it's going to be wall-to-wall. Major League Baseball could benefit from being the first sport to get back. If baseball can get back before anybody else, they're going to benefit, I think, the most. Now, I still don't know what the game plan is for hockey. I would love to hear a game plan for hockey. But you get a problem there. You have two different countries you're dealing with. That's part of it. And you're already in season. Do you blow the rest of the season off? Do you go directly to the playoffs? Do you have an expanded playoff? That's the dilemma for hockey. And same thing with the NBA. The NBA would love to get back, and I would love to see what a playoff would look like. I mean, LeBron's not getting any younger. LeBron's not getting any younger, and if you want to get anywhere close to Michael Six, you got to start winning some championships. I mean, you're close, but not close enough. You, you want to get to that plateau. If you watched the last dance, you understood Okay, Michael won two back-to-back. Why do you go for that third one? Well, because Magic and Bird didn't win two back-to-back or three back-to-back. Okay, that's a reason right there. And then he got bored. And then the passing of his father, unexplained murder. It was a mystery for weeks. And all of a sudden, he makes a a change. He gets away from basketball and comes back. I mean, that's... um, that was an interesting documentary so far. And I know a lot of it's coming from Michael Jordan's perspective. It's basically his hands are all over this thing. But still, that was a uh, that was a tough one to watch yesterday, which if you haven't been watching The Last Dance, ESPN, trust me, will show it time and time again for you, give you an opportunity to watch it. But I thought last night's was pretty fascinating. And, you know, tie this into baseball. Uh, Michael Jordan, if he would have stayed at it, Michael Jordan, a lot of people believe, would have made an, a Major League Baseball roster. Just to tie that in. But instead, got the basketball itch, went back to play basketball, and won three more. And the documentary ends on Sunday with parts 9 and 10. And, of course, we get finally to that championship matchup. But it's been fun on the way. I forgot a little bit about the Charlotte Hornets. I almost forgot about the Charlotte Hornets of that era. Just a yeah, yeah, little penny. You had Shaq there. I almost forgot Horace Grant was on that team. I mean, this was fun basketball. If you lived it, it was fun. It was really fun back in the day. And then of course you, you got Seattle. And um, let me tell you, oh man, it, it Jordan. Jordan will find a way to get through. And Seattle coming back and winning a couple and thinking, okay, 
Yeah, we, we've got Jordan. No, no, you, you didn't have Jordan. Jordan, as he mentioned, he said, I had things on my mind. And come Father's Day when they played uh, game six, yeah, Jordan turned it off. But I love watching that because if you made Jordan mad, it was over. And if you didn't make Jordan mad, Jordan would make something up to get mad, and then it was over. So I could walk by Jordan and say, hey, it's a nice day we're having, Mike, and Mike would get mad and drop 50 on me. I just said it was a nice day, Mike. Well, maybe Mike wasn't having a nice day, and you just came over and poked the bear. Watch that documentary if you haven't already. It's, it's been fascinating to really see just how competitive Michael Jordan is, and he's got that killer instinct. That's the one thing I think LeBron never had. When LeBron, for all his talents and all his abilities, Michael wanted to go out and kill you. Not murder dead, but but close enough. He wanted to go out and dis- destroy you. He was the apex, apex predator. He was the alpha, alpha. And it's been fascinating to watch that. We will carry on with today's edition of The Drive. Thanks for tuning in here on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. This is The Drive with Paul Swan on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. Presented by Huntington Federal Savings Bank. Guests with Paul Swan appear via the Miller Lite phone lines. We're presented by Huntington Federal Savings Bank. Welcome back to The Drive on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. So, the question remains, when will we see college athletics return? What will the timetable look like? Will we have a timetable? Is there anybody who is in control of anything? Do we have one voice? Well, we don't know the answers to most of those questions. We definitely don't have one voice. And one person that could be a voice really isn't. And I've not been impressed with the NCAA and their handling of this situation so far. And you've got NCAA President Mark Emmert. He said Friday night that he doesn't think sports can return at schools operating in an online-only teaching environment because of the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. Okay, so that's an obvious one right there. Because we've heard in the past that if you don't have students on campus, you can't have sports. So wouldn't this fall into if you don't have students on campus, you can't have sports? He did add that testing, tracing, that has to dramatically improve before sports can return. In addition, he said he can foresee schools restarting their athletics programs at different times, resulting in some teams playing shorter schedules that might impact postseason selections. Of course, if there was one unified voice, and there's not going to be, because let's be honest, the NCAA, when it comes to college football, doesn't have much to say. The Autonomy Five, you can call them the Power Five all you want. It's the Autonomy Five. They have the autonomy to pretty much figure out what they want to do and then do it for the most part, right? I mean, they have some flexibility there. And if they can't even decide what this is going to look like, because I feel like the SEC could practice tomorrow if they could figure it out. The SEC would have practice right now if they could to get ready for the season. The Big 12, the Big 10, 
And I'm sure they're all trying to figure out what the schedule looks like for them. I mean, we've seen the, okay, we're going to play only conference games or we're going to push this back later. Nobody knows what's going to happen right now. And if schools can open and other schools can't, well, forget those schools. We'll just go on without them. Why should we be penalized? I've heard all of that. And I don't think the NCAA is really added to this. There's not a unified voice here. And I don't know how you do it either. I don't know if you lay down what the edict is. Like, okay, there's not going to be any competition until a certain date and a certain threshold. doesn't matter if your state opens up. If other states can't, then this is what we're going to go by. This is the guideline. This is the target date. This is what it looks like. And unlike baseball, baseball can basically, once they get the players on board, because after all, they're, they're employees and they have an opportunity Seriously, they have an opportunity here to get with the employees and figure this out. Once you get that situated, you can go play baseball. It's simple. You have a plan in place. You can hear, right now, you can you can hear one voice in baseball. And that's it. You don't have 15 different voices in baseball. Same thing with football. You don't have, even though you have owners and you have players, you have one unified front. I mean, Dana White has been pretty much the big voice in mixed martial arts. UFC, they put their event on this weekend. You don't, now you might hear some dissent now and then, but ultimately, they can pull this off because they're unified. There might be some grumbling inside, but they're unified. Here's what we're doing, and now do it. So baseball can do this. Football can do this. Basketball could do this. Hockey could do this. Once you get everyone on board. And the players basically will collectively agree or disagree with the plan. And if the baseball players go, yes, we're doing this, then we've got baseball. I mean, that's what's not happening in college athletics because who represents the players? There's not really a representation for the players. There's not a a players' union in college athletics. You don't have someone collectively bargaining for the players because these are student athletes at the end of the day. And so that's where we run into the problem. We just don't know. We can't figure this out because we don't have a unified voice. We don't have anyone, and each school is different. This isn't as if you have 30 different franchises. You have different variations of how many millions of dollars they're making, some making more, some making less, some spending more, some spending less. It's completely different than college athletics where some athletic departments make money, some athletic departments lose money. To hear a lot of people who follow the situation, they all lose money because they're spending it. There's no savings. There's no rainy day fund in athletics because what they're bringing in, they're usually spending. I mean, there's not like a stockpile of cash the way college athletics is structured right now. There's not that stockpile of, okay, we can weather this out a few months because we have prepared, we have planned for this day because the way college athletics work, again, you have kingdoms and fiefdoms and tribes and Everybody's going against everybody. End of the day, it's 
everyone for themselves. It's every entity for itself. It's one-on-one combat here. With Major League Baseball, teams are going up against each other, but they're all in it together because you have one Major League Baseball league. You have one basketball league, the NBA. You have one professional football league with the NFL. And there can be a little bit more direction here. There can be a little bit more guidance. And so I think the pros are going to be back sooner. The pros can figure it out. The pros will have access to testing. And that's the other thing. You know, will each school, each institution have the same level of access to testing than others? I mean, can Alabama get more testing than, say, Marshall? Can Western Kentucky get more testing than, say, Texas? You tell me. That's going to be a big issue. We're presented by Huntington Federal Savings Bank. Paul Swan, your host on today's edition of The Drive here on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. Never miss a moment of The Drive with Paul Swan. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Monday, May 11th edition. The Drive continues on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. I hope everyone had a great Mother's Day yesterday. And if you didn't take care of your mom yesterday, shame on you. Not that hard. Get in the kitchen, bake a cake. Not that hard. So we carry on here today trying to figure out what the new normal, and I don't even know if I like that term, new normal. I mean, it's just normal. What's normal? It's... Is either normal or not normal, or the new normal. I don't know how I feel about that just yet, but that's some of the language we've got. People are trying to figure out what the new normal will be, or what normal will be. What is going to be normal once it all settles? And Virginia President James Ryan doesn't believe a normal NCAA football season is going to happen because of the ongoing pandemic. Here's what he told Face the Nation on Sunday. And, yes, by the way, Sundays, yeah, I do watch Face the Nation. I do watch uh, Meet the Press because there's no sports on. So that's what I'm watching. And I did catch this. And he said, our hope, obviously, is that there's a football season this fall. However, he said that he couldn't see football taking place at a school where the campus wasn't open. And he said that his school's working in lockstep with athletic director uh, Carla Williams and head coach uh, to basically ensure the safety of the teams. So he's working with his athletic director, head coach Bronco Mendenhall, trying to figure out what is going to be safe. Said that they're taking it day by day. Said, obviously, we need to have students back on grounds before football can begin. And so... The only thing I'm hearing here is we can have football if the students can be allowed on campus. Okay. So football on campus doesn't mean fans will get to attend, but you can't have football. And if you've got football, you're going to have to have radio, obviously, or television, because if you're playing football, and you're just playing it, and there's nobody can watch the game, why are you playing it? 
and that's where maybe some of the dilemma comes in. So every game's got to be televised somewhere locally, regionally, nationally. Radio, of course, we'll have it. If the herd plays, we'll have it for you. But that's where I'm trying to figure out what this is going to look like because you want to keep the students safe. And how do you keep the students safe? Well, testing is going to be a big part of that. And then you're going to introduce another team into the mix. And if it's football, this is a contact sports. This is contact sports. Football is contact. Basketball to some degree. There's contact in basketball. Track and field, maybe not so much. Soccer, maybe not so much. Tennis, maybe not so much. There's some sports. There's some sports you can get away with. There's some sports you can't. Baseball, you could probably get away with it. Not that much contact, unless you're, you're hitting the ball. That's the contact, throwing somebody out, hitting the ball. But with football, and again, you're, you're, trusting, you're trusting that you're bringing in outside elements and everything's going to be fine. Your team might be virus-free. You're hoping the other team is virus-free. And that's just one of the things you have to worry about when it comes to trying to figure this completely out. And I don't know if they've got a solution for that. I mean, same thing with the NFL. Of course, the NFL, they're going to be testing nonstop, I'm sure. And I don't even know what that's going to look like as far as what procedures are going to look like. I mean, Anthony Fauci is saying, look, you might not be able to pull this thing off. You know, this is going to be a hard one. Football is going to be a tough one until you get testing and a few other things in place. Take his advice as you will. Some do, some don't. But that's going to be the question here. It's how do you pull this off? How do you how do you do this? And you can't have it with just online classes. So if Marshall goes online classes only, and says, look, majority of our, our, our classes are going to be online. I mean, maybe there might be some physical classes. Maybe there won't be. Don't know. Too early to tell. But if you have online classes, can you bring student-athletes back to play football? Probably not. If you have a mix of online classes and physical classes, can you bring student-athletes back? I don't know. That's a good question. Can you bring them back? And you'll have to bring them back sooner than the student body, or do you wait until the student body's back to then bring them back in conjunction with them? And these are some of the questions that we ponder on a daily basis. And trust me, I would rather be talking right now about a baseball game this afternoon, short season and all, than trying to figure out what we're going to do on a daily basis because Really, we don't know. I mean, honestly, I can't wait for baseball. If we get baseball back, I'm going to be completely and honestly, you know, candid with you here. I'm going to be so relieved. So relieved because at least, honestly, that's that's more our wheelhouse here on this show. Completely. One final break. We'll come back. Uh, we will wrap it up. Today's edition of The Drive on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. Listening to The Drive with Paul Swan on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. 
We're wrapping up the Monday edition of The Drive here on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. I'm your host, Paul Swan. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get you caught up with some news and notes of interest. Conference USA, first of all. Conference USA Baseball, uh, a little different now because UAB Baseball head coach Brian Shoup announcing his retirement yesterday. He is retiring after nearly four decades of coaching, including the last 14 years at UAB. Columbus, Ohio native, didn't know that. Head coach for 31 years and compiled 1,061 career victories, including the 2001 NAIA National Championship at Birmingham Southern. He's been with the program a long time. 39-year coaching veteran, a member of the 1,000-win club. So big loss for UAB there today, and uh, wanted to acknowledge that. Also, here's a kind of an insight into what UTSA is doing. And again, every day you see more news stories about what athletic departments are doing far as their budgets are concerned, what they're going to do for travel, expenditures, and it's just still the same stuff. It's just happening at different places now. UTSA, um, they're dealing with um, a budget price, a problem. They have got um, to deal with now a 10 to 15% budget reduction. So, UTSA is an institution, all departments, 10 to 15% budget reduction. So what does that mean for athletics at UTSA? Well, right now, all non-essential spending, hiring freeze, and they're thinking about some other additional measures, nothing really outlined yet. They are right now in a situation where they have given – furloughs or anybody's taking salary cuts, but that's something that they're looking at as a possibility. So kind of just to give you an idea of what UTSA is doing, comparable to Marshall, of course, as a conference mate, you you kind of keep an eye on what some of your conference mates are doing. And if you're Marshall, thankfully, you, if you're your coach at Marshall right now, thankfully you haven't, unless – it's gone on. I'm not aware of it, which I don't believe so. You don't have to, at this moment, have to deal with that reality. It could be happening sooner than later. We don't know. But UTSA right now, look, we're going to reduce things in the budget. Haven't had to furlough yet. Haven't had to do anything that will cause discomfort to our, our, our coaches or our employees. And it could be worse. I mean, look at what West Virginia is doing as far as their university initiative and they're cutting back and coaches are taking reduction in salary. And, of course, you know, how much is 10% really to the bottom line if you're Doc Holliday or if you're Dan Dan Tony, or if you're Tony Kemper? I mean, I'm sure 10% is a lot to those gentlemen and all the other coaches. But so far, thankfully, we haven't heard anything about what's going on with them. As we get closer to closer to what this looks like, as far as if you don't have revenue coming in, that's going to be the big key. If football isn't bringing the revenue in, now what? What do you do now? If you do have some sort of revenue coming in from football, then you can budget and plan accordingly. 
and trying to minimize what's going on. I mean, TV is going to be a big factor in this. If you're a power conference, you're going to have TV deals. And if you don't have fans, you're going to have to find other ways to bring in revenue. So does that mean your television and your radio properties become even more valuable? I mean, think about it. If you can't have fans at the stadium and they want to find out what happened, TV, radio. If you want to follow along live, it's TV or radio. If you want to find out what happened after the game, you read Grant in the Herald-Dispatch. So media is going to be important if you're going to have a, a new dynamic and where for this season, you're not going to have fans, which again is going to kill, in a lot of ways, college athletics in ways it won't necessarily decimate the NFL. So you got to have fans. But can you have fans? Can you have football without fans? Do you have to have football without fans? And I don't mean, uh, do you have to have? I mean, are you going to have to figure out how to have football without fans to be able to have athletics and football in the future? Can't just say we're taking a year off. This isn't World War II where we're just not going to have sports. This is... If you don't have college athletics, this is what happens next. Here's what falls next. Here's what you don't have. Here's what you can't do. And right now, everyone's trying to bunker up a little bit, store up a little bit, try to, okay, let's cut some cost here. And whatever happens, I think on the other side of this, we're going to see some new dynamics. Scheduling, travel, geography is going to be a big factor. Do you take a team to California when you can take a team down to Moorhead, Kentucky? It doesn't work for everything. I mean, you're not going to take Marshall football to Moorhead, but you can take Marshall football to Western Kentucky. Obviously, they're in your conference. Maybe you're playing more teams uh, that are geographically friendly. And you're taking a money game, of course, in in geographic sense. You're taking a a Virginia Tech game. You're taking a Notre Dame game. You're taking a Virginia game. You're taking that. You're taking an Ohio State game. You're taking that game. It makes sense from a geography uh, point of view, and it also financially makes sense. But from a, okay, we've got an opportunity here. We're going to travel past the Mississippi. Yeah, maybe you're not. You know, what's the risk-reward there as far as – what you make and you know how much you got to put into it. All right. We're done for the day. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate it. We'll be back tomorrow here on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM Flagship home of the Marshall Thundering Herd and The Drive with Paul Swan, ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930.